Welcome to the Focus Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that it inspires you and gives you a fresh perspective. Enjoy the sermon. Come on at all of our locations. Let's give God some praise. Amen. 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 My name is Mike. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my wife Ashton and I started this church about 10 years ago. And if you're here for the very first time, we are especially glad that you've decided to worship with us. We are one church in multiple locations. And so right now, at the same time, we're gathering at the south side at the Regal White Oak Theater in Garner and on the west side at 2186 North Salem Street. And regardless of which campus you are at or which service you are at, I just want to say and be one of many to say, welcome home. We know that finding a church home can be a struggle. Is it too loud, too soft? Is it too too quick, too short, too long? Do I preach too bad? Do I preach too good? Come on, somebody. Do your kids enjoy it or not? I know that there are so many factors that go into choosing a church home. And I just want to let you know we are excited that you are here today. We've been praying for you for over 10 years. And if you're here today for the very first time, we just want to say welcome home. Can we clap our hands and welcome all of our first time guests today? Come on, you can do better than that. It's a big deal. It's a big deal that you decided to worship with us today. Just do us one favor, that's to take the purple U card. It's located in the seat around you. Fill it out, take it to the new here area on your way out today. It's just our way of wanting to put a free gift in your hand. Say thank you for joining us. And uh, we're really, really glad. I also want to thank everyone for their patience with me during this season as I help my father. Uh, My father has been ill and he's been in and out of the hospital for the past several weeks. And if you don't know this, he pastors another local church in Durham, about 25 minutes from our East Campus. And uh, him and my mother both pastored together and they came to a point of desperation where my mom, as she was taking care of my dad and he was in and out of the hospital and seeing different specialists, where they they couldn't sustain the weight of the ministry as well. And so what I've been doing is I've been preaching here and then driving to Durham to preach for my father's church just while he recovers. And to God be the glory, he's out of the hospital and he's doing better. He said he might even show up to church today, which is a big deal. So thank you for your prayers and your patience with me. Um, That wasn't always the desire or design of my heart to pastor two churches at once. I got plenty on my plate with you. And so uh, I I just am grateful for your patience during this time. I I think I only have about two more Sundays and then I will be back in full swing here at Focus Church because Easter's coming and uh, we have a harvest of souls on our mind. And I don't know about you, but I love Easter. When, whenever we, we get serious about the things of the Lord and we get serious about personal evangelism and the harvest of souls in our city, things start to change. And this Saturday coming up, we have our vision team vision rally. I think that there's a QR code on the screen. If you haven't RSVP'd already, I would encourage you to do so. It's my favorite environment to speak to leaders and to believers that want to see God's mission fulfilled here on this earth. And so the Lord gave me a prophetic picture from the book of Judges in the life of Gideon and the army that he leads. And I just pray that it will minister to you if you haven't RSVP'd yet. That's Saturday, March 18th. And your campus pastor can give you the specific location and time at all of our locations. But I trust that you'll join us today. We are in part two of a series titled Waiting 
dating, and mating. Come on, somebody. And uh, the premise behind this series is to establish the new rules of relationship founded on God's word. We don't take our cue from culture. We don't take our cue from uh, rom-coms, from romantic comedies on the, the, the movies. We don't take our cue from music. We don't take our cue from, uh, from anyone here on earth. We take our cue from God's word as to how we live out God's design and desire for relationships. And I want to talk a little bit about marriage this morning. But before I do, maybe you're single today and, and, and I want to give you some Christian pickup lines that should help you up your game. So as you joined a life group last week and the week before, and as you've been in, in a life group, I want to help you and give you some conversation starters for those of you that might be shy. So here it is. Are you ready? This is the first one. It says, we talk a lot about being spirit-led. Well, the spirit led me straight to you. Come on, somebody. All right, here's the next one. This is for you fellas. I put the stud in Bible study. Come on. I like this one. This next one says, how many times do I have to walk around you to make you fall for me? Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. Some of you got to fight the battle of uh, being timid and shy. You got to go for it. Here's the next one. I'm usually not very prophetic, but I can see us together. <laughs> and finally, I did not believe in predestination until tonight. <laughs> what is marriage? What is Marriage is a great question to ask ourselves, especially in today's culture, um, as marriage gets redefined by our world, we have to redeem it by what God, how God defines it. It's important that everyone at the sound of my voice, whether you're married or not, that you have a better understanding of what marriage is according to God's word. And I want to help you today, whether you're married, single, divorced, complicated, or never getting married again. I think, I, I think God's word has it laid out as to, how, as to how to do this thing the right way. And when it comes to marriage, we have to let the one who decide, designed it define it. Let me say that one more time. We have to let the one who designed it define it. This is the same thing for your calling. This is the same thing for your identity. This is the same thing for your purpose. And it's especially true in marriage. We have to let the one who designed it define it. And here's what Jesus says in Matthew 14. We're going to be all over the Bible today, but we'll start with Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 4. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female. I know it's confusing everywhere except for church, everywhere except for in the Bible, but it clearly states God's design and desire for humanity. I'll just, it's not my sermon today, but there are only two genders. And it's not my idea. This was God's idea. The Creator made them male and female. I'm not ashamed to say that. I'm not embarrassed to say that. I'm embarrassed that I even have to say that. But to be honest, what kind of world do we live in that doesn't recognize that the Creator made them male and female? There are only two genders. I just want to clarify that in case you're wondering what kind of church you walked into. I might be wearing jeans, but we are not progressive. <laughs> Verse 5, and said, 
For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. Notice the nuclear family dynamics that are present in the Bible that are no longer present in today's society. When you have the absence of a father, you normally have an abundance of dysfunction. This isn't part of my sermon either, but I think it's really important. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Let's pray. Father, we love your word. It's a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. It's helpful 2,000 years later. It's helpful for today. And I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, through the truth that's found in your word, and through the presence of God, that you would protect every marriage at the sound of my voice, that you would protect every person that's single at the sound of my voice, that you, have, that you would protect every person who's gone through separation or divorce at the sound of my voice. I pray that we would redeem and restore what the enemy has tried to destroy. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Marriage is hard. Marriage is not easy. In case you're wondering today, um, no matter if you're a Christian or, or not, uh, you have a 50-50 chance of making it. I don't do anything that has a 50-50 chance. I'm going to be preaching a revival this evening in Florida. I'm going to be getting on a plane uh, this afternoon flying down to preach a revival service. If the pilot said, we have a 50-50 chance of making it to Florida, I'd be off that plane. I'd be off that plane in a second. Yet, statistically speaking, this thing, till death do us part, it's, it's no longer till death do us part. It's 50-50. The United States has the third highest divorce rate in the world. Divorces amongst people over 50 are some of the highest, and they keep breaking records every single year. The most divorces happen between the months of January and March, and so if you haven't pulled the trigger yet, wait till the end of this series. <laughs> every year, between 600 and 700,000 couples file for divorce, and this number in the year 2020 nearly doubled. People were done being around each other for that much, and they decided to finally d divorce one another. So if you're thinking about giving up, I want to give you a message that I believe will help you today. The odds are stacked against us when it comes to marriage, if we, especially if we don't do things God's way. So if you haven't been married yet, this will be really helpful. If you're currently married and struggling, this will also be very, very helpful. And I want to help you today because marriage is so challenging. It's also the barrier to get married is at an all-time low. How many of you took your driving test? You ever took your driving test before? How many would be honest and said that you failed your driving test? Anybody going to be honest and said, I, I failed my driving test the, the very first time. Um, the, the driving instructor was there with his massive clipboard and his religious spirit. And I, I was driving a Ford Taurus that my father had given me as my first vehicle. And he said, we're going to drive as if you're going to the movie theater. I said, okay, drive as if you're going to the movie theater. So we drive around, we put it in park, and then he said, you're going to park as though you're going to the movie theater. I said, no problem. So I put it in park, and I sit there. And he said, are you done? I said, yes, I'm done. And then he writes on his clipboard, but I can't see what he's writing, and that'll frustrate you, you know what I'm saying? And apparently, I never turned the car off. 
Well, there was no real movie theater. This is a simulation, sir. This is just a... But he said, because I didn't turn the car off, that it was a, too much of a demerit. The second thing that I did was when I put the car into reverse, I did not look back. I used my mirror instead. But the rule is you have to put your hand on the passenger seat and look backwards. Now, times have gone forward, and now I have my own daughter trying to get her learner's permit. Whew. I know I look like a child, but I have a child who's about to be on the road. And we have gone to the DMV now three times, every time short at least one document. Transcripts, birth certificate, social security card, DNA sample, proof that you know the Pentateuch or the Old Testament, the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah. It is easier to get married than it is to drive on the roads of North Carolina. And I don't want you to be flippant about marriage. I don't want you to waltz into the courthouse because you have lovey-dovey eyes or butterflies in your stomach. It is easier to get married than it is to get your driver's license, but I don't believe that should be the case. Like, no one pulls you aside at the courthouse before you go before the magistrate and says, hey, have you considered praying about this decision before you do it? Have you sat under biblical authority, submitted yourself to biblical teaching when it comes to God's design for marriage? They don't do that. But if you go to get your driver's license, <laughs> there's so many steps and so many processes. No class, no written exam, no forced couples counseling, no conflict resolution seminars, no having to prove that you have a clue about what you're getting into. You can literally walk into a covenant with zero restrictions. People spend more time planning for a one-day wedding than they do preparing for a lifelong marriage. And here's what Hebrews 13.4 says, that marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. That word honored means to value it with weight. Honored means to be valued with weight. You must honor your marriage. You must honor the covenant relationship that you're stepping into. As a matter of fact, marriage, here's what marriage is. It's a covenant between one man, one woman, before God, for life. Let me say that one more time. And if you're taking notes today, or if you need to take a picture of the notes so that you can remember what marriage is before you step into it. Marriage is a covenant between one man and one woman before God for life. This is, what God's this is what God blesses. This is his plan. This is biblical marriage as Jesus defined it. One man, one woman before God for life. And your marriage will only be as strong as your ability to commit to it. Your, your marriage will only be as strong as your commitments. If you're not committed to it, it will not be strong. If you were flippant about it, if you were kind of not honoring it by not adding value or weight to it, it won't last long because you don't appreciate the weight of the covenant or the value that marriage is. So today I want to outline five commitments that Ashton and I made, and we were married extremely young. We were still teenagers. I had turned 19 just two months before we were married. 
But I had met her when I was 15. Come on, somebody. When you know, you know. I had braces. My hair was bleached. I was a mess. And God pulled me out of the miry clay. He set my feet on solid rock. And he said, if you don't put a ring on this thing now. So now we've, we've known each other for 20 years. I'm 35 years old. So I, I was, I've been with her more than I've been without her. And so I'm not a, a, a marriage expert by any means. But we have three children. And we've remained faithful to God and faithful to each other for the last 15 years. The first thing that you need to do is you need to seek God. You need to seek God. You need to be committed to seeking God together as a couple. It's amazing because it's the missing piece in most marriages. Most marriages, you're, you're seeking one another. You're seeking satisfaction. You're seeking pleasure, but you're not seeking God. And if you don't seek God, you can't be fully committed to each other because selfishness will creep in. There isn't some guy or some girl that will complete you. As a matter of fact, God is the one that should complete you. You should come into the marriage complete in your identity in Christ. Some of you are looking for the perfect girl to complete you. Doesn't exist. Some of you are looking for the perfect man that will complete you. Doesn't exist. You're looking for a unicorn. Doesn't exist. Matthew twenty two thirty six 36 says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. God should be first in your life, church. God should be number one. I'm going to say something and it'll sound bad at the beginning, but it's not. Ashton is not the number one in my life. She is not first in my life. God is first in my life. Because if God is not first in my life, I could never serve her and submit to her and, and, and be married to her like I am. Because I will be full of the flesh. God is number one. She's my number two. If you make your spouse your number one, you're going to be sorely disappointed. They're not perfect. Oh, you're my everything. You're my life. You're my number one. No, they should not be. You should seek God first. No person could ever be capable of meeting your needs. I heard a pastor say this. He said this. Our, our idols always fail us. And we eventually end up demonizing the people that we used to idolize. So if you idolize your spouse, eventually when they fail you or disappoint you or have a momentary lapse of judgment, what will happen is what you used to idolize, now you demonize. So if you're single, you need to seek the one while you prepare for the two if you're looking to be married. Married couples, you need to seek the one with your two. This is what I wrote in my notes. Don't just pray for your spouse. Pray with your spouse. Oh, there's a shift that happens when you don't just pray for your spouse, when you start praying with your spouse. The devil is a liar. I don't know how he did this, but he has convinced every married couple how, how awkward it is to pray out loud together. And he's a liar. And that's... He knows the potential of when a couple prays for one another out loud. So he's made it like you would pray with your coworker more than you pray with your spouse. 
You would join the prayer team and pray at the altar with a stranger more than you would pray with your spouse. And I declare and decree over this house that we will be praying marriages. We will be praying families out loud for them to hear. And it might sound weird at first, but it's like a muscle. The more you exercise it, the stronger it gets. Don't just pray for your wife. Pray with your wife in Jesus' name. James 5.16 says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. All right, number two, you need to fight fair. You need to fight fair. Dr. John Godham, a marriage specialist and researcher, published a fascinating study about couples who fight. And this is drawn from data for over 16 years. He claimed that he could observe a couple arguing for just five minutes and determine within a 91% accuracy whether that couple would remain together or get divorced. How you fight really matters. It's really not a matter of if you fight. It's a matter of how you fight. Success in a marriage isn't based on whether you fight, but how you fight. Now, Ashton and I, we fought over some dumb things <laughs> over the years. She locked me out the house one day. I preached, paint fell off the walls, I was sweating, preached on a Sunday, but I had said something that morning that was not kind. I had gotten in my flesh. So um, we live in America, so I don't lock my doors. So the door is usually unlocked. I don't have a house key, you know? This was years ago, different house. But um, I went home to take my nap that I do on Sundays and the door was locked. And I don't, she knows I don't have a key because the door's always unlocked. And I'm knocking on my own door, trying not to make sure the neighbors don't think that we're crazy. And she said, you can find somewhere else to go for this afternoon's nap. <laughs> I'll never forget that. We, we, we've learned that we're, there will be arguments, but we can fight fair. Here's the reality. The root of all of our fighting is our selfishness and our sin. And selfishness really destroys relationships. At the end of the day, fighting is rooted in selfishness. And here's what I wrote in my notes. Healthy couples fight for resolution. Unhealthy couples fight for personal victory. Are you trying to fix the marriage or are you trying to win the argument? Are you trying to resolve the tension or are you trying to have a personal victory for yourself? The root of your fighting is key. We all fight. Listen, everyone in this room that's been married is at some point or another going to have some sort of disagreement with the person because we're human. We're not perfect. But are you fighting to resolve conflict or are you fighting to prove a point? James 1.19 says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be what? Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Quick to listen. You have to ask yourself, what are they saying? Slow to speak. Slow to speak. Slow to speak. Wait. W-A-I-T. <laughs> Why am I talking? Some of y'all just talk. Just wait. <laughs> Quick to listen, 
What are they saying? Not listening to respond, listening to receive. This is important because some of you are already drumming up in your mind your response before your spouse has even finished saying what they're saying. Come on. Don't leave me up here hanging like we're the only ones that try to come up with the answer. And then slow to anger. Am I denying my flesh or am I feeding my flesh? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to ring. So how do I argue? How do I fight with my wife? I need to fight. I need to be, what are they saying? Listen. Why am I talking? Wait. And is this, am I in my flesh or am I in my spirit? I just saved so much time. I just helped you so much. There should be extra dollars in the offering today. Stop fighting against each other and start fighting for each other. Number three, you got to have fun. Oh, man. <laughs> Some of y'all got into this boring routine in your life, and your marriage is boring. You got to have fun. It needs to be, it needs to be, if, if you're just waking up, drinking a coffee, going to work, coming home, grunting in the recliner, repeat, you need fun in your relationship. You need to be laughing together. Don't take yourself so seriously, okay? I've been telling people this a lot lately. You're not the Ark of the Covenant, okay? Just relax, okay? Have a good time. Enjoy yourselves. Go back to the time before your kids had soccer practice, before gymnastics, before you were a professional Uber driver. Go back to that time when you would just go out to eat just because. And it wasn't just on a birthday or an anniversary. Go back to the time where you would just randomly think about your spouse at random times and purchase them random gifts or text message them random things. Go back to that time and have fun. Fun is a foundation, is foundational to a healthy relationship. You had fun before you were married. It should be more fun after you're married. You got, you know, you need extravagant days where you just go crazy and then you need normal days where you're just laughing on the phone with each other can i encourage you just have some fun have some fun you know it, it's you know you go from communicating and, and 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 loving on each other to like now you're just roommates sharing information you know it's like can you please pick up some milk remember johnny has basketball practice the van needs an oil change the girls need to get to worship practice tonight can you please pay the electric bill that's not marriage. That's a coworker. That's a roommate. You need to have some fun. Okay? Ecclesiastes 9 verse 9 says, Enjoy life with your wife, <laughs> whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. Aren't you grateful for that verse? It's like if life is going to end one day, might as well have a good time. <laughs> Might as well not take it so seriously. Might as well enjoy ourselves just a little bit. Have some fun. Man, y'all don't feel very fun this morning. Try to live by the 777 rule. Can I give you some practical help today? All right, every seven days, try for a date night. Every seven weeks, try for a date day, meaning take some paid time off and just Send the kids to grandma's house, kick the kids out the car, wherever you need to take them. Leave them at the house with some Netflix on and just take a full day. Drive to the 
botanical gardens or the greenway. I don't know what you like to do. My wife and I, we enjoy just driving around. We enjoy a nice meal, but you need to take a full day. We enjoy, I get a pedicure, she gets a pedicure and a manicure and, and, a, and, a manicure and her eyebrows wax and everything else. I just go for the toes, but she goes for everything else. But you just need a time together, have some fun. And then every seven months, you should probably take a trip and, and, and more like a vacation without the kids. It doesn't have to be extravagant. You don't have to go to Europe every seven, every seven months. But man, save up some money and say, you know what? We're going to spend two nights or three nights away. It's, it really does uh, your marriage well. So that's the 777 rule. It's date night every seven days, date day every seven weeks, and a date trip every seven months. Now, what should a good date night include? I'm going to keep it PG um, for the sake of this service, but every good date night should include the following. It should include face-to-face conversation. So put your phone down, look at them in the eye. If you need some prompt questions, look them up beforehand, write them down. You could get like date night prompt. If you just Google date night questions for my wife, they will show up and they're good ones that you can go deep, go deep. And then you need side-to-side adventures. Go out and do something fun. Walk around side-by-side. Go, don't just go to Crabtree Valley. That's the pit of hell. Go somewhere nice. You know, Crabtree Valley Mall is the worst. Let me tell you right now, if you want to know what hell feels like, just go to Crabtree Valley Mall. The worst. It's the worst. Okay? The only thing good there is Cheesecake Factory. It's the peak restaurant of all the land. Except for Angus Barn. Angus Barn, Cheesecake Factory, Panda Express. Those are the three. Okay. Face-to-face conversations, side-by-side adventures. And then uh, lastly, I'll just let you do the math. Uh, belly button to belly button fun. Okay? That's every date night should include that. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in the upcoming weeks. But that's just PG for the people in the room who are... Yeah. This is what Martin Luther said, the great reformer. He said, um, let the wife make the husband glad to come home. And let him make her sorry to see him leave. What a great word. What a great word. All right, number four. You got to stay pure. According to a study done by the University of California, the adultery rate has more than doubled over the previous decade. And it makes sense. Sexual temptation is everywhere around us. And I, I, I can't tell you how accessible all this material that is not in alignment with God's design for your sexuality. It's accessible now uh, everywhere, and you have to stay pure. You're just a couple clicks away from it, and it starts inappropriate relationships, and you need to stay pure. They say that almost like 80-something percent of divorce papers include the words Snapchat, Facebook, or Instagram. Getting... God's standard for everyone to keep their marriage bed pure is key. And this is what I wrote in my notes. Married things are reserved for married people. If you're not married, don't do married people things. All the way around, 360 degrees. If you're married and you're doing married people things with anyone other than the person that you're married to, That is also not God's design for your life. If you're not married doing married people things, you are cheating with someone else's wife on your future wife. So even if you're single 
having relations outside of marriage, you are still dishonoring God's design. I, I, I you know, I, I, I'm, you have to understand that you don't get everything that you want in this life. We are surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. You can't just satisfy your flesh. Every single desire is not going to be met. There is a cross for us to bear. There is a, there is a, a discipline for us to endure. And you need to have long obedience in the same direction. Faithfulness to the person that God has brought into your life. Never looking to the left, never looking to the right. And it doesn't start with just a full-blown affair. You know this. It starts with that little extra time after work or that small little message with an emoji attached to it. It doesn't start with just rampant. It starts in the small things. The Bible says it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. Be careful of the little foxes in your life. Ephesians 5.3, but among you, there must be not even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Is it clear? Come on, is it clear? Stop it. Stop it. If you're a man in this room cheating on your spouse, stop it. If you're looking at things on the internet, stop it. You can't satisfy all your flesh. You're not allowed to do that. You have to remain pure and holy and stay committed to the person. See, boundaries don't stifle a marriage. They safeguard a marriage. Oh, she's just always in my business. The reason she's in your business is because you made a covenant before God and her and your family to remain pure. Mm. What are some healthy marriage boundaries? Well... Number one, never, never alone in private with a person of the opposite sex. Just not going to happen. My office door, full glass door. Why? I ain't, even given, I ain't even given the chance for people to even say something. I'm not even giving the people the chance to uh, suspect anything. It's, imp it's imperative. And I, I, oh, that just seems real, real uh, prude of you, real, real traditional. Well, save my marriage. So I'll do whatever it takes, anything, anything, whatever it takes. Some of you need to keep your office door open more often. Some of you need to not go to lunch with just that coworker. I never ride in the car alone with someone of the opposite sex, ever. I'm not giving a hint. I'm not allowing the hint of sexual immorality. Number two, accountability partners. I have two guys in my life. We golf together almost every Friday. They live in Richmond, Virginia, and I make the drive, the two-hour drive. They make the drive down here. I make the drive up there because I'm able to be completely honest with my struggle with them, and they're able to be honest, and we FaceTime almost every single day. We ask hard questions. We are honest with one another, and we confess our sins because he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness when you have accountability. God cannot heal what you do not reveal. So if you don't have a, a life group or accountability partners, it, it will, you will forever be isolated in this lonely island of sin that you need to confess to someone. And then total phone transparency. My phone is an open book. You can have it, you can look at it, you can scroll through every message, everything. I, don't, I, I, even, I even have, I have an Instagram that the other staff members that run the social media team have access to because I'm not about to direct message someone and then be one screenshot away from them manipulating what the context was. I just don't do it. 
I don't, I don't mess with that. I, I just cannot do that. Why? Because <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not so prideful to think that I'm not above temptation. I'm honest enough to understand that I need safeguards and I need boundaries. I'm honest enough to say, I'm, a, I'm, I'm man enough to say I need it. Instead of weak enough to say, now that would never happen to me. There's a long list of pastors who have fallen simply because they did not safeguard their life. So seek God, fight fair, have fun, stay pure. Number four. Number five. Number four. Number five. Never give up. The piano player can come and make me sound more spiritual than I really am. Never give up. It's not an option. Bowing out is not an option. Backing out is not an option. Divorce is not an option. We don't say it. We don't believe it. We don't speak it. We don't threaten with it. We don't create ultimatums. We never give up. This covenant is a lifelong covenant for life. If Ashton leaves me, I'm not worried. I'm going with her. We just have to decide that we're going to stay in it. You got to decide you're going to stay in it today. You have to decide that you're going to stay in it. Marriage will be as good as you decide it will be. <laughs> decide to fight fair. Decide to seek God. Decide to have fun. Decide to stay pure. You know, I've been, I was thinking about this morning. It's not in my notes. And I just thought, Lord, do you really want me to be that intense? He's like, yeah, do it. Just say it. You would never leave your kids. You'd never leave your kids. I mean, you would never leave your kids. If you have kids, you would never get to a point where you're like, you know what? I'm tired of being their mother and father. I'm out of here. I'm not going to be their dad or their mom anymore. You would never consider that. You know, why are you considering leaving the person who you do have covenant with? As a matter of fact, my kids will one day leave. I know that that sounds real extreme, but I wonder if you could look at the commitment you have to your marriage through the same lens that, of the commitment you have for your kids and stay in the fight. Stay in it. Now, there are two grounds, biblical grounds for divorce. And I want to be very clear today. Adultery and abuse. If it's unsafe or it's, or there's been unfaithfulness, you have biblical grounds for divorce. Now I've seen God redeem people who experience both of these things. So this isn't just like a, 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 a ticket out, but I don't want you staying in an unsafe place. I don't want you under the hand of a physical or verbal or any emotional abuse. And I don't want you to feel like you have to remain faithful if someone has not been faithful to you on their end of the bargain. But both of those are exceptions. They're exceptions. The rule is, till death do us part. That means that we have to learn to get over the small stuff. That learns that we have to learn how to seek God, to fight for one another. That means that we have to stay pure. That means that we have to do these things. This is what Ruth Graham said. A happy marriage is the union of two good forgivers. <laughs> yeah. 
Get good at forgiving. Get good at forgiving. And staying in it, don't quit. Don't give up. People make mistakes. And as followers of Jesus, forgiveness should be our first response. I want to live a long life with obedience in the same direction. 1 Peter 4.8 says this, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Don't feel your way into actions. Don't feel your way out of actions, out of, out of marriage. Just love faithfully and wholly today. I want to pray a prayer over those who are married today, and I want to pray a prayer of blessing over those who would like to be married one day or those who are not called to be married. Either way, from this day forward, I pray that you would commit to those five things. Seeking God together, fighting fair, having fun, staying pure. I pray that you would just gravitate towards those things so that no man can separate what God has brought together. If you're with your spouse today, would you grab them by the hand, even if you had an argument on your way to church, even if you're tired today, even if you're weary, even if it's been a long time, if you're with your spouse today, would you hold their hand, bow your heads all across this room and all of our locations. Father, I speak a blessing over every marriage. I pray that you would unify strongly that which you have brought together. And I pray that the vow that they made before God, before man, before each other, that you would galvanize it together, that you would weld it together, that they would surrender and submit to your purposes and your plans. I pray that no attack of the enemy, no lie of their childhood, no lie of their adolescence, no generational curse, no generational pattern would come and make a wedge between them. I pray for ultimate protection ultimate provision. I pray that when it gets hard, that they would learn to seek you together. I pray that when it gets challenging, that they would learn to stay pure and to fight fair and to have fun. And I pray that they would never give up. I pray that Focus Church would be known for the quality of the marriages for the example that we set for the world. As the world treats marriage flippantly, we treat marriage with such sacred hearts, such fragility, such sensitivity. It's special. We treat it special. I pray if there's anyone that is not being faithful to their spouse, that they would commit to confessing and holding themselves accountable with accountability partners and that, that, that their spouse would find room to forgive them so that they can move forward. We cast down every spirit that is attacking marriages in America. We cast down every spirit that is attacking marriages in this church. We cast down every spirit that thinks that, that marriage is just a good idea. It's a God idea and we redeem it today. We restore it today. And I pray protection over every single couple in our church. No weapon formed against them shall prosper. I pray blessing over their family. In Jesus name. Amen. And amen. Come on, let's give God some praise for his word. Thanks again for joining us. And thank you to those who give generously to make this ministry possible. You can click the link in our description to give now or visit www.givetofocus.com. 
If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, and hey, while you're at it, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories. Tag us at My Focus Church. We'd love to hear how God is speaking to you.